Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons, Linda Fuller and Savannah Green. So, here's the thing. Math has never been my strong suit. And for a while, I've been saying that there are over 600 Patreon-exclusive episodes available, which is true. There are over 600, but the number is a little off. I've been going through the records, and I think it makes more sense to say that there are over 900 Patreon-exclusive episodes. I don't have an exact count yet, but I'm working on it. Suffice it to say that we've added at least four new stories a week every week for years. No seasons or anything like that. Everything we've ever put on Patreon is right there and waiting. Not to mention that they're all commercial-free and immediately available to patrons at the $7 and above level. To see how you can support the podcast and potentially access a number of stories that I'm having a hard time comprehending, please check out our donation tiers at patreon.com creepypod. And a quick announcement that on Instagram, at creepypod, we've started to do micropastas, or microfiction, for the shorter creepypastas that are just too short for our podcast. The bite-sized stories that are under two minutes. I'll try to cross-post on Facebook, but for now, the plan is to post two micro-horror stories each week on Instagram on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So now's a great time to head over there and follow at creepypod on Instagram for even more free content. Now. This is Creepy, a podcast dedicated to sharing the most famous, chilling, and disturbing creepypastas and urban legends in the world. Whether these stories truly happened or are simply fabrications is for you to decide. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Creepy Presents Dog Sitting Written by Kyle Harrison The note read, Jeffrey, thank you again for being such a dear and watching Rex while I'm away. I've included a simple list of instructions for you to make this easier. I hope he doesn't give you too much trouble. Rex likes to sleep in the guest room on normal days and typically won't come out until around lunchtime. It's best not to bother him until then anyway. 
You'll find his food dish and water bowl above the stove in the pantry. Give him one scoop of wet food, found in the fridge, and one scoop of dry, above the washing machine. Water bowls should be cleaned after every use, and only use sink water with a Brita filter, please. Rex prefers the dark. Please don't turn on any lights in the house while you stay here. Sometimes he gets a little feisty in his old age. It's best to ignore him when that happens. If there's bad weather, please lock him in the laundry as he gets very anxious. If he needs to exercise or go for a walk, remember to go at night so he isn't bothered by noise or neighbors. The leash and collar under the sink. He loves to watch the TV shows Dexter and Fuller House. Money for yourself is on the table and keep the house keys on your person at all times. See you on Thursday. Thanks, Mrs. Lofton. Side jobs are always odd ones, aren't they? I got the gig from a coworker right before the Christmas break when I said I needed some extra cash quick to buy some last minute gifts. They'd known the Loftons for years. And ever since her husband passed away, my coworker told me that she takes trips this time of year to avoid feeling sad. But that dog's her best friend, so naturally she wants the best care while she's gone. After putting in a good word for me, I was contacted with the instructions I transcribed above via email. A second secure message told me where the house is located. It wasn't a big house, but typical for the neighborhood. The big fenced-in yard with the beware of dog sign attached made me almost reconsider. My co-worker said when he did this last year, he'd never even seen the dog at all. So why did I feel like I was being watched as I crossed the yard to the wraparound porch? The house keys were in the mailbox, just like the secure message told me, and I could hear the TV playing as I unlatched the door. I could see immediately Mrs. Lofton wasn't kidding when she said she kept her house dark. All the windows were curtained and the blinds drawn. It was hard to see really much of anything in the front room foyer except the desk where she kept her mail piled up. Closing the door, I used my smartphone to light the way into the den, listening for Rex to come tearing through the house at the sound of an intruder. It felt very weird to me to sit in a dark den in a stranger's house and be completely alone. Guess this is what I signed up for, I muttered as I saw the dog's dish not far from the entrance of the den. It was already empty, which I guess meant he'd eaten whatever she gave him before she left on her trip. I decided to go ahead and fill it up with prescribed food, walking down the hall to the laundry. Big mistake, really. When I passed by the guest room, I saw the silhouette of the dog laying on the floor and I paused uncomfortably. I'm a dog person. I had dogs growing up. So why did this old husky make me feel uneasy? I couldn't put my finger on it, but decided to try and be friendly anyway. Hey there, boy. I'm Jeff, I told him. The dog did not respond. I whistled to try and elicit a response, but still got nothing, so I just kept on walking to the laundry. As I reached for the dry food, I heard a low guttural noise from behind. Rex just making himself known, I told myself as I got the scoop and then walked back to the den. Make me some supper. You want it now? I muttered. This time, I didn't pause to look at the dog. When I finished mixing the two types of dog food together, I shifted the bowl around to make noise and try and get Rex to come out and eat, but no dice. Guess you really do stick to your schedule, I said to myself as I checked my phone. Something told me these five days were going to be either long and boring or filled with unease, and I didn't like either option, really. I settled down in her wingback recliner and got on my phone. Of course, the internet was shitty. I shouldn't have expected any different. 
But I scrolled through my Instagram feed and Snapchats, trying to pass the time until Rex made himself known. Every now and then I'd glance up at the hallway which led to the guest room, hoping to see the husky romp out tiredly. Only half glancing because it was dark. For a second I thought I heard something and waved my phone flashlight towards the hall. For a split moment, I thought I saw Rex standing up on his hind legs. Shit! I fumbled my phone and tried to get a better look. Nothing was there. I decided that freaky moment was the time to confront this dog. Maybe if I spent a little time with Rex, he wouldn't seem so scary to me. Walking to the guest room, I used my phone's flashlight again and got a good look at Rex. There was nothing super special about the hound. He looked like he was half asleep, blind in one eye and snoring and shaking a little on the side of the bed. Actually, I realized as I stepped closer that it looked like he was chewing on something. The dog made a low growl, warning me to stay back, but curiosity got the better of me and I took a chance. It was a big rat, half rotted away and stuck between the hound's teeth and its paws. The thing looked like it had fought against Rex valiantly, but ultimately lost. I took a step back into the hallway and tried not to panic. Was a dog able to eat a rat? I googled it and paced the kitchen, praying the internet would hurry up and give me an answer before the old dog wound up choking on its tiny bones. According to Google, it is instinctive for cats and dogs to pursue small prey, such as rodents and birds. In some cases, pets simply pursue and kill the prey. In other cases, the prey animal is consumed by pets. I can't tell you how relieved I was to read that answer, but I didn't like the idea of the dog chewing on a rat even if it was instinct. Rats carry disease, and if Miss Lofton takes him to the vet a month from now, she'll know what happened. I decided to try and goad Rex with his leash and collar for a walk. Come on, boy. Let's go around the block, I told him. The hound immediately stood up and stretched, whining irritably as he trotted towards me. That's a good boy. You aren't so bad, are you? I said, carefully placing the collar on him. He kept making low noises. I couldn't tell if it was because he was uneasy around me or because he was still swallowing the last of that rat. Once the collar and leash were on, I tugged him to the front door. Ms. Lofton has you on a tight schedule, but maybe we can shake things up, I suggested as we headed towards the street. Rex was hesitantly sniffing the ground and meandering down the street like any normal dog, and for a brief moment I was sure that everything would turn out fine. Then one of the neighbors jogged by and Rex pulled me like a freight train barking as his flop ears jostled from side to side. The woman let out a soft cry of alarm and I tried to calm her as I pulled Rex, but he wasn't listening. He was reacting like any good watchdog and was ready to attack. Just ignore him, he's old, I said, straining to pull him towards me. Rex turned and bit at my hand and I lost my grip on his leash. In a heartbeat, he was down the street yelping and barking. The neighbor had jumped out of the way and was long gone, but if I didn't hurry, Rex would be too. Stupid dog, I muttered as I got up and followed after him. I knew he'd have to give up eventually. About ten minutes later, that was exactly what happened, and I grabbed the leash and yanked Rex toward me. Consider this the last walk you get for five days, I muttered as I marched back to Mrs. Lofton's house. The hound tried to pull against me, but I was firm. I felt a little bad for him, 
but I wasn't about to lose him in another frantic race. Once inside, I let him free and latched the door back, collapsing on the kitchen floor and tossing the house keys on the table. That was exhausting, I thought to myself as I watched him run to his water bowl. You're more of a handful than I bargained for, bud, I muttered as I went over and took off his leash. The dog stood stiff as if he was about to bite me again, but only growled in response. Yeah, yeah, all bark, no bite, I said as I sunk back down in the recliner. I just wanted to relax for a few minutes, maybe get a power nap. But Rex had other ideas. Just as my eyelids got heavy and I was drifting to dreamland, the husky let out a loud bark that nearly made me jump to the ceiling. He sat there, staring at me dead-eyed as I was in the recliner. What do you want? I asked. He barked loud again and I realized he wanted in the chair. Fine, sure, it's your house. I said as he climbed into the recliner at the moment I got out of it. You watch your programs, I'm gonna go get some sleep. I told the dog dismissively. I kept it on Netflix and walked to the guest room, collapsing on the bed. That race across the neighborhood had drained me. It was only day one. Closing my eyes, I kept thinking that Rex was going to come in the room and demand something with more sharp barks. Maybe it was my tired brain, but I felt certain the dog did come in the room and climb on my chest. I kept feeling this heavy pressure against my torso. And I kept fading in and out of being asleep his dead eyes staring at me when I was awake. This dog was pushing my buttons. When I did wake up, I found Rex was still in the recliner, sitting almost like a person would as he watched his TV. Hope you're cozy, I told him as I walked over to the fridge to see what Miss Lofton had left me to eat. I'm not sure why I didn't notice it before, but when I opened the door this time and looked at the shelves... I realized the only things that weren't for Rex were a block of cheese and some prescription meds. Jesus, you really are spoiled, I said aloud as I closed the fridge. I walked over to the table to grab the house keys only to realize they were no longer there. Crap. They must have fallen off when I tossed them, I realized as I checked the grimy floor. Again, my phone was the only illumination as I crawled under the table and tried to see where they might have fallen. Just as I scanned the light toward the den, I saw the silhouette of Rex again and froze in place. This time, there was no mistaking it. He was walking on his back legs to the guest room. What the hell? I scrambled up from the floor and pointed the light at him. Here, boy, I told the dog. He turned and looked at me, still somehow standing upright like it was perfectly normal and didn't blink. Then he dropped back to four legs and trotted into the guest room, somehow kicking the door closed and leaving me alone with the conundrum. I just need to get some air, I told myself as I searched for the keys. That was when I saw them, hanging above the stove. How did they get there? Had Rex put them there? But that was impossible. I was just about to reach for him when my phone rang. Mrs. Lofton. Hey, perfect timing. I had a question for you. Before I could even talk, she interrupted with a request for her dog. 
I did my best not to roll my eyes. Sure, what is it? I asked. She told me that he would need his favorite toy and that she kept that toy in the basement near the water heater. Basement, past the laundry, right? Got it. I said, turning and walking down the steps carefully. I had her on speakerphone as I commented. Mrs. Lofton, has anyone ever told you how weird Rex is? It wasn't hard to miss the toy. Looked like an old Cabbage Patch doll. Has he been good for you? Mrs. Lofton also asked as I reached down and grabbed the doll. That's one way of putting it. He enjoyed his walk earlier, I commented. As soon as I said it, I regretted telling her because it went against her rigorous instructions. It was fine, I reassured her. I turned to go back up the stairs when I heard this soft slam and felt my heart drop. Let me call you back, I said as I was now in pitch darkness. Somehow the basement door had closed on me. No worries, just had to get up the steps. Then I reached for the handle, and just as I was going to open it, I heard it snap and lock. Then I heard a low growl. Rex? What the hell? How the fucking dog locked me in the basement? Hey, hey, listen to me, this isn't funny. Let me out, I said as I banged on the door. Only the low growl responded. This was insane. I sighed and turned back toward the basement using my phone to get a good look around. Maybe I could get out of here some other way. I carefully climbed down the stairs, nearly tripping over more of Rex's toys. Then I went toward the back wall to see if there was some hidden chute or something, but nothing was visible except for crates of dog food. Jesus, this dog eats more than I do, I muttered as I checked it. Most of it was expired. It was no wonder Rex seemed so sickly. I slumped on the floor, feeling defeated and tired. If the dog wanted to lock me down here, so be it. I could deal with that for a few days. Probably piss on the floor and eat dog food to survive. I wasn't sure what I'd do about water, but I figured something had to go right after this shitty day. For a moment, I also considered calling the police, but I knew that might cause more problems for me in the long run. If Mrs. Lofton found out I did something this monumentally stupid, I could kiss my paycheck goodbye. Instead, I decided to text my girlfriend. The signal was bad now with the door closed, and I could hear a storm approaching. Rex would probably tear up the house while I was down here. I had to hope she could help me get out of here. You're locked in the basement? Her response made it sound like she thought this was my fault. Look, I'm not here to tell you the details. Can you help her what? I don't get off work till after 10. Well, it's not like I'm going anywhere. I slipped the phone into my back pocket and walked up the stairs, tempting again to jiggle the door open. I couldn't hear Rex, but for some reason, I was sure the dog was somewhere nearby. Hey, you stupid dog. My girlfriend's coming by to get me out of here. You better be nice when she gets here. I wasn't sure exactly how Denise would even get in the house, but she was resourceful. She had to figure something out, I thought, as I gripped my teeth and sat on the steps. First thing I'd do was lock Rex down here as payback. I thought sourly as Rian began to pelt the house. I could hear the husky beginning to whine and bark. 
the storm upsetting him just like Miss Lofton said it would. Then I heard the sound of glass breaking and the dog clawing against the door. He was panicked and so was I. How the hell was I going to fix this mess? I sighed and listened as the dog kept destroying the house and I was powerless to stop him. So much for pay, I thought. No. Get a hold of yourself, Jeff. You have three more days. You can figure this out. Finally, it was nearly 10.30 at night and Rex had settled. Denise told me she was on her way and I listened for a car to pull up. The storm had subsided too so I could hear everything that happened. First, I heard her brakes and the car engine turn off, followed by her calling my name as she opened the front gate. This place is so creepy. Is this dog dangerous? I wasn't sure how to respond to that. Rex had reacted so strongly to that stranger earlier. What if he attacked my girlfriend? Just try to hurry. I can't be stuck down here for three more days. Denise texted back that the front door was actually wide open. That's impossible. I locked it. Denise's response wasn't very reassuring. Well, you did say this dog can open and close doors, right? I felt my heart skip a beat as I imagined Rex was off running around somewhere. But I couldn't worry about that. I told her to hurry to the basement. Power's out. I can't see a thing. I listened for her, trying to bang on the door to get her attention. Instead, I heard Rex make a terrible noise. Didn't sound like a dog at all. Denise let out a scream and Rex matched her tone and volume with every decibel. Then I heard the dog bounding toward her and I frantically tried to open the door again as I heard my girlfriend fall to the floor. Her screaming continued as I heard the dog barking and snarling. I knew how vicious this dog could be and all I could do was try to attract its attention to the basement. Loud banging and crashing filled the air for the next few minutes as Denise valiantly fought the dog. Then, finally, the entire house went silent. I held my breath and waited. Did she win? Did Rex kill her? I reached for my phone and texted her. I heard it softly ping somewhere in the house and I clenched my fist. If that dog heard her, I would make sure it never saw the light of day. Instead, a moment later, the basement door unlatched and it opened. Denise was standing there, covered in scratches and fresh blood. I couldn't do much except hug her. Then I immediately put my guard up and searched for the dog. Rex was nowhere to be seen. Guiding her to the guest room, I told Denise to stay here while I found the dog and put an end to this. It was still pitch black. I knew that the husky could probably see me before I saw it. I moved to the den, searching for the fireplace poker. It would have to be a makeshift weapon. I heard a low creaking noise and nearly jumped out of my skin. The front door was open. I ran to the yard, realizing the gate was also open. Rex had escaped. My first thought was good riddance. Then my phone buzzed. Mrs. Lofton. I'm quitting, I told her. This dog is insane. I got locked in the basement almost all night, then Rex attacked my girlfriend. As I walked back into the kitchen, the power turned on and the lights flickered. Mrs. Lofton hadn't responded to my announcement, so I asked if she heard me. She claimed that Rex would never hurt anyone, 
not her dog. She insisted that I video chat with her and I sighed in frustration, nearly jumping out of my skin again when I saw Rex at the end of the hall. There you are, you motherfucking monster. I said as I pulled up the video chat and walked to the hallway. You see? Rex is covered in my girl's blood. I said, focusing the camera on the husky. I stood by the guest room and unlatched the door, telling Denise we were leaving. My eyes caught sight of something on the floor. A mess of hair and skin. My blood went cold and my breath caught in my throat. It looked like a cocoon of flesh, peeled and dried out as if discarded. What the hell? Mrs. Lofton's face was pale and full of fear. And immediately she told me why. That wasn't her dog. I looked toward the husky and watched as the dog stood up on its hind legs again. This time its fur began to rescind and become skin. Its face distorting to resemble my girlfriend. Naked and still covered in scratches. The fake Denise stepped toward me half her body still in the shape of the monstrous dog. I stumbled into the guest room, realizing the pound of flesh I'd seen was what this creature had done to my real girlfriend. And then I dropped the phone and ran towards the door. The fake Denise shrieked and bounded towards me, shifting between dog and human as it tried to attack. I made it to my car and revved the engine. The creature standing in the middle of the street as it howled. Sounding like a scream and a bark all at once. I pushed down on the pedals and slammed into the creature, flinging it over my windshield and shattering the glass. I didn't look back. I kept driving until I made it home and finally caught my breath. The next day, I used my brother's phone and contacted the police, telling them everything that I knew they would believe. They asked me to come to Lofton's residence, so we met around 10 that morning. Much to my surprise, Mrs. Lofton had returned home. As the police explained the claim that I made about Denise, my neighbor gave a confused look. She claimed to not even own a dog. The police searched the residence and found only the old dog food. She said Rex had died a few years ago and there wasn't anything to show that Denise had ever been there. Visibly frustrated, the police left and warned me about making a false statement. I stood at the edge of the yard, staring at them in utter defeat, then toward Mrs. Lofton on her porch. She was smiling and waved as they left. Then I swear to you, I saw something behind her thin frame. A tail wagging. Her eyes shimmered for a second as she stared at me and I immediately drove off. That thing had lured me here and likely planned to kill me originally before Denise showed up. I told my co-worker to never take a job for her again. And I told myself that I'm never dog-sitting again. For your bonus episode, Creepy Presents The Lady and the Tiger Written by Known of Consequence and narrated by Michelle Kane. My name is Daria, and I'm one of those fortunate few people that actually loves their job. 
Since I have a general distaste for people and a bad relationship history, working with animals was the best decision I ever made. For several years now, I've patrolled the local zoo after hours, kind of like a security guard, but there's a lot more to my job than that. A large portion of the zoo's population are fed at night, and it's one of my favorite duties. It has helped me develop a relationship with the animals, and they are always happy to see me. The majority of our animals are rescues undergoing treatments. For instance, our Bengal tiger was brought in from a poacher camp. She had sustained some nasty wounds when she tried to escape and became malnourished when her captives decided to starve her for her behavior. I took a personal interest in the tiger. Never had I seen an animal in such poor health and still be alive. For the first few months, Jane wasn't even in the tiger paddock. Our on-site vets were constantly monitoring her progress and kept her in a confined space so she wouldn't bust her stitches. Poor Jane was miserable and scared, completely distrusting of all bipeds. To start, she was fed a nutrient-rich paste that looked and smelled horrible but was specifically designed to treat her malnutrition. For the first week, the vet and Tex had to force-feed her the paste with an oral syringe. It was obvious that Jane hated this crap, but giving her real food right away would have done more damage. I'd check on her several times a night and bring her small cubes of meat. It wasn't enough to hurt her, and Jane seemed to perk up after each morsel. By the time the vet was comfortable with giving her whole meat, I had been bringing her the equivalent of a jumbo pork chop each night. Jane stopped growling at me by this point, but she still wouldn't let me close enough to touch. Three months passed, and Jane was given the go-ahead to be placed in the paddock. I was both saddened and elated by this development. It meant that I couldn't get that close to Jane, but at the same time, she had more room to move around in. In those first few nights, I spent far too much time watching her pace around. Jane was finally approved for full meals, and I hoped it would bring us closer together. She had put on some decent bulk, and her fur was covering her scars nicely. The daylight hours were a miserable time for Jane. The patrons were excited to have a tiger to see, but she detested the gawkers. All they did was remind her of the poachers that had abused her, so she spent her time sleeping and hiding from them. I'd come in early to talk to the employees that worked her area and get progress reports. She wouldn't let anyone get close to her, and the vet still had to sedate her. After this long, the vet should have at least been able to get near her without pharmaceutical assistance, but no dice. On the upside, she's not attacking anyone, just avoiding them. I can't say I blame Jane. I've been abused in the past, and it took me a long time to get comfortable around men again. I still don't entirely trust them. It takes about four hours to feed all the animals on the schedule. When I finish, I grab my lunch and sit in front of Jane's paddock. It's been a month now since she's been able to roam this large area of hers. Her weight is finally getting into the normal range, and soon her feeding schedule will normalize. Apparently, tigers don't eat every day. I shouldn't be surprised. Quite a few of our tenants are like that. 
The majority of Jane's space is covered in darkness, but the front area is illuminated with a few dim lights. When I get here to eat my lunch, Jane is somewhere in that darkness, waiting like a true predator does. After a while, I'll randomly look up, and there she'll be, sitting there staring right at me. It freaked me out the first time it happened. For such a predator, Jane never made eye contact with anyone. Occasionally, we'd catch eyes, but she was always eager to look away. This time, she was looking directly into my eyes. We saw each other like never before, our matching amber eyes locked. In that moment, I felt a connection that went deeper than anything I'd ever felt before. We saw each other for what we are, a pair of mutual predators caged by a society neither wanted to be part of. I may not take down prey with claws like Jane, but on my days off, I'd like to go bow hunting for wild boar on my uncle's ranch. My skill level is good enough to ensure I always have access to fresh pork. At the time, I was eating a grilled pork chop sandwich. I took the meat out of my half-eaten sandwich and tossed it to her. Without taking her eyes off mine, Jane caught that chop in the air and devoured it. I didn't think a tiger could smile, but the look she gave me in that moment was unmistakable. After that night, I made sure to always have a raw pork chop or some other cut of meat from my weekly kill packed in my lunchbox. It became a game for us to see how long it would take one of us to look away once our eyes had locked. I won most of the time, but she does beat me at least once a week. I cherish those moments with Jane. There's so much insanity in this sick, sad world, but getting lost in those tiger eyes makes putting up with the bullshit all the more worth it. I'll never forget the day I realized Jane felt something for me, too. I came in early, like I normally do, to get a brief rundown on Jane's behavior. The employees in her area were busy talking with some patrons, so I waited patiently for them to finish. We were standing at the edge of the viewing area, and I glanced into the paddock. I expected to see her sleeping or hiding in the back. The moment I spotted her laying on top of her little platform, her head picked up, and her eyes landed directly on mine. She'd never done anything like this before, not with people around. It was like she sensed I was near. I ended up breaking the eye contact because the employee I was waiting to talk to became available. That night, I decided to do something daring. It was a night where Jane wasn't scheduled for a feeding, so I knew she'd want the bloody pork steak I had for her. Instead of tossing it to her from the viewing area, I used my master key to get into her interior housing and out into her paddock. This was a truly, monumentally stupid thing to do. Never mind that I was voluntarily entering a predator's territory, but I would have gotten fired if anyone found out. For one, I'm not supposed to have a master key, and two, no one is allowed to enter a paddock alone, especially when the occupant isn't locked into the interior housing unit. Making sure to close the door behind me, I slowly walked into the area with the dim lighting. Jane came out of the darkness and eyed me. While maintaining direct eye contact, she circled me, 
making one full revolution before stopping and waiting. Taking her cue, I did as she did, making one slow circle around her while maintaining eye contact. When I got back to my starting position, we squared off and took a few tentative steps toward the other. Once she was within an arm's length, I stopped and went down to one knee, bringing myself to her eye level. Slowly, I unzipped my lunchbox, pulled out the baggie with the raw pork steak, and removed the meat. I wasn't afraid of Jane, but proceeded with slow caution. This was the dangerous part, but she had never shown hostility toward me. Reaching my hand out, I presented the meat to Jane. Using the same level of caution, Jane reached forward, cocked her head to the side, and took the meat from my outstretched hand. She gobbled it up quickly, then focused on me again. I stood to leave, but before I could, Jane moved toward me. She brushed herself against my leg, kept in contact with me as she went behind me, and came around the other side. I've seen domestic cats do this to people, but never a cat this big. Jane rubbed herself against me and then grabbed my hand with her teeth. She took me to her little platform and had me sit down on it and proceeded to curl up with me. Her fur felt so soft and warm as I petted her. Tigers may not be able to purr, but Jane did something better to show me she was comfortable with me. She presented her belly to me, and I spent nearly an hour rubbing her. This became a, a nightly ritual for us. Management finally decided to promote someone to assist me. I discussed the available choices with Jane, but ultimately the decision wasn't up to us. Sadly, they picked the one guy neither of us liked. His name was Jeremy, and he was seriously creepy. Every employee has their favorite animal, and Jeremy loved the lions, specifically the male lion, and the weirdo was straight up obsessed. I, I know how that sounds coming from me and my relationship with Jane, but this guy took it to a fucked up level. Lions will eat virtually any animal, and Jeremy looked at all our residents like he was trying to decide which one to eat. Despite how much I detested him, Jeremy did lighten my workload. It gave me more time with Jane, but we had to keep to the shadows. On a couple of occasions, Jeremy almost caught me in her paddock, but Jane was good at scaring him off. One intimidating roar, and the creeper would run off for the lions. They were a few paddocks down, so it gave me the chance to slip back out without him noticing. Jane really didn't like Jeremy and roared at him every time she saw him, no matter the time of day. One night, things went way beyond weird. In the feeding rotation, the lions come before Jane, so we wheeled our food cart to their paddock. Normally, when an animal hears the squeaking of the food cart, they tend to clamor to the designated feeding areas. On that night, only one of three lions was interested in food. As I slipped the meat into the paddock, Jeremy was glued to the glass at the viewing area. I happened to glance over at just the wrong moment. 
that sick fuck was aroused and rubbing himself against the glass. He was turned on watching the lion's mate. I tried to leave him to himself, but as I pushed the cart away, the creep started talking. Look at that magnificent creature. He does as he pleases and takes what he wants. It doesn't matter what she wants. The king wants to fuck, so he fucks. She just lays there and takes it because she can do nothing about it. Jeremy's knowledge of lions is completely wrong. Lionesses are the primary hunters in a pride, and they decide when, where, and how often to mate. Normally, I'd correct him and take pride in putting him in his place. But with him rubbing his pathetic dick against the glass, I just walked away. Unfortunately, he wasn't finished talking and he tore himself away from the glass to walk behind me. I could feel his creepy eyes on my ass, but I tried to ignore it. You know, if you put a little effort into your appearance, I'm sure a king like myself would mate with you. His words made me want to puke, but that suggestive tone in his voice got me worried he might try something. Jeremy was staring at my ass so intently, he never saw my fist coming. I caught him right in the chin and sent him to the floor with one punch. While he was trying to unscramble his brains, I placed the bottom of my boot on his dick and pushed enough to get his attention. I kept my voice low and even when I said, Talk to me like that again, and this tigress will take your pathetic life. We've got a pen with a dozen armored murder logs that haven't eaten in nearly a week. They'd make quick work of you. This was true. The gators weren't scheduled for their weekly feeding until the next day, and by this point, they were getting hungry. I pressed harder into his groin. Am I understood? He couldn't verbally respond without whimpering so he nodded his head vigorously. I let him up, and he ran off crying like a humiliated cub who thought himself a king. Fucking pathetic is what he was. I told Jane all about it while I fed her. This was one of the reasons she never liked Jeremy. She could sense his attitude. That, and when I wasn't looking, he'd look at me like I was prey. Jane urged me to be careful. A male who's been humiliated by someone he thought to be below him won't leave it alone until he's put that person in their place. As I continued the feedings, I kept an eye out for Jeremy, but he didn't reappear. With my lunchbox in hand, I made my way back to Jane. I was about four habitats away when I heard her roar. Immediately, I turned around, but not quick enough. Jeremy hit me in the head from behind. I'm sure he thought he was performing a sneak attack like a glorious lion would. But there's no glory to what he did. He must have hit me with something other than his fist because I was horribly dazed as I looked up at him from the ground. Jeremy was insanely sputtering things under his excited breath. 
I mean some seriously crazy shit about him being a lion and a king, putting an insubordinate lioness in her place. I was too stunned and dizzy to use my hands against him, but my mouth still worked. Oh, please. I've seen clits bigger than your micro dick. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. My jab only enraged him further. He got on top of me and started slapping me. I wasn't afraid. I was royally pissed off. I couldn't believe this was happening to me again. Instead of crying for help like last time, I struggled even more to get free and angrily screamed threats as Jeremy struggled to gain control. I even went so far as to threaten to impale his asshole on a rhino's horn. That got his attention, and he hesitated. I used his hesitation against him and shoved him. Jeremy was caught off balance and stumbled back. I got up and tackled him to the ground. I dug my nails into his face and we fought, struggling to get the upper hand. His larger size ended up winning against my ruthlessness, and he had me on my back again. Jeremy's hands were at my throat, and he was squeezing so hard. I could feel my life slipping away. I always knew he was off balance, but his eyes burned with true insanity in that moment. Jeremy had been a true monster all along. Then I heard the most beautiful sound that ever existed. Jane roared from only a few feet away. It was so unexpected and frightening that Jeremy let go of my throat and put his hands up to ward off a blow. Jane took the opportunity to tackle him, planting her front paws on his shoulder and launching herself at him. She took him off me so easily that they flew backward. Jeremy caught the edge of a stone table in the back. Jane's front paws planted his shoulders to the stone tabletop, but her bottom legs managed to tuck his lower body under the table. Jane managed to fold Jeremy in half the wrong way breaking his spine. Jeremy didn't die right away. Jane helped me get to my feet and let me lean against her as my vision stopped spinning. When I could see straight again, I took a few shaky steps forward to look into Jeremy's agonized eyes. He couldn't form words, but he did make some pitiful noises. Jane moved to his head and was about to bite his throat to end it, but I told her not to. I wanted that piece of shit to suffer. Jane sat at my side, and we watched Jeremy die in gut-wrenching agony. He deserved a lot worse, but the pain he went through was tremendous. I didn't feel bad for him, not in the slightest. Jane helped me drag the body over to the gator pen. I completely stripped and dumped him into the water. The gators were hungry, and they went at that corpse immediately. By morning, there was very little left, and what pieces that remained were hidden away. Jane spent the rest of the night walking the zoo by my side. I never did find out how she got out of her paddock, but I was too grateful to care. For more information on this podcast, including how to submit your own story for consideration, please visit creepypod.com. You can also follow us 
at CreepyPod on social media and YouTube. All stories told on this podcast are done so through Creative Commons share-alike licensing or with written consent from the authors. No portion of this podcast may be rebroadcast or otherwise distributed without the express written consent of the Creepy Podcast production team and the story's author. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. <laughs> Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. <laughs> the only thing I could hear was at 7219 <laughs> laughing. Do you remember your name? Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.